Hello! Welcome back to the Long Distance Love Bombs podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jeremy Goldberg, and today's guest is Eldra Jackson III. Eldra is the co-executive director of a nonprofit organization called the Inside Circle, which focuses on criminal justice rehabilitation, youth advocacy, uh, risk. They basically work to... I'll let him describe it, but Eldra is one of the most inspirational and incredible guests that I've had on the program. He has spent 24 years in a maximum security prison. He spent several years in solitary confinement. He was given a life sentence for a variety of significant and violent offenses. And while in prison, he chose a different path. And he speaks very openly and very honestly about that path, about the personal transformation that he undertook. And in a wide-ranging conversation, we talk about forgiveness and the prison system, the, the consequences of our actions. We talk about vulnerability and victimization. We talk about sexual trauma, childhood abuse. It's, it's unbelievably fantastic conversation. He is, uh, he is an incredible human being, and I really do uh, feel privileged to have just spent an hour talking to this dude. You're going to love it, and uh, that's all i got to say. You're going to love it. Oh, do check out the show notes. I've included various links to the documentary that we talk about called The Work. It's insanely good. It's so good. And also ways to become a prisoner pen pal and to support the Inside Circle organization that Eldra is the director of. So without further ado, Eldra Jackson III. All right, we are underway. Eldra Jackson III, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Jeremy. Good to be with you today. Yeah, man. And uh, I'm so excited for this conversation. But for those who might be listening that have no idea who Eldra Jackson III is or, or what your deal is, do you mind introducing yourself and, and telling a little bit about who you are and what you do? Certainly. Well, as you said, my name is Eldra Jackson III, and currently I serve as co-executive director of an organization, a nonprofit organization known as Inside Circle. It is uh, based in California. It was actually uh, born in 1997, following a a huge racial riot in 1996 in New Folsom Prison. And it is geared towards empowering system-impacted people to uh, take agency and move forward in in life with a different perspective and and coming from a place of healing. And when you say system-impacted, what do you mean by that? Well, by system-impacted, you know, if you go to our website, uh, InsideCircle.org, and look, uh, System Impacted is a phraseology that's really geared around people who are uh, incarcerated currently or formerly incarcerated, people on probation, parole, people who have been uh, affected by the uh, United States justice system, the prison industrial complex uh, on the county level, the state level, the federal level. And, and I'm personally working to try and change that ideology about system-impacted people to include the billions of people who uh, inhabit this big, big blue marble because 
the truth of the matter is there's not a human on the face of this planet that is not a part of some sort of system whether they are aware of it or not, whether I'm aware of it or not, I'm participating in some sort of system, be it school or, or whatever. Hmm. And so do you see your work as like a, a microcosm or as a, as a beta test in a sense to then expand throughout all of society and culture? It could be looked at in that fashion as, as, as a microcosm. I personally see it a little bit different. And, you know, when people look at the work that we do, because they have a film out, a documentary uh, titled The Work that, you know, shows the course of four days network, bringing some people in from the outside to participate in the program. And people often look at it and, and, and view it as a prison documentary or a prison program or prison therapy. And, and, and I'd push back against that and say that this is, this is people work because though this particular form and this particular organization happens to, to function mainly in prison, this is people work. We're doing this work now on the outside with uh, uh, everyone. It's all inclusive. We're doing it with uh, men. We're doing it with women. We're doing it with folks who you know identify as non-binary. We're doing this with children. We're doing this with any human that is open to looking at the places within themselves where they're fucked up and willing to, you know, go into that and try and, you know, investigate that and see what that's all about. So yeah, it's a beta test possibly because it, it, it works with people who are in a fishbowl, but there are now, you know, tens of thousands at least of people who have, have, have been touched by this work and, and can testify to how it has uh, altered their lives. So maybe we can step back to the beginnings. So you said that Inside Circle formed because of a race riot in a prison in the 70s. Is that right? In the 90s, in 1996, there was a a, a riot between the Blacks and the the Southern Hispanics. And the Southern Hispanics were, uh, to some shape, form, or fashion were uh, assisted by the whites in, in prison, at least in California. You know, California prison system is, is extremely segregated. I mean, it would make Jim Crow South you know, look like a utopia. So when it pops off, it's usually the blacks versus somebody or somebody versus the blacks or everybody versus the blacks. Just This just happened to be another one of those incidents. And a man was shot to death. This was an episode that went on for about 40 minutes. And when, when the administration got uh, permission to end the incident, they started firing live rounds from many 14s. One man was shot to death and several people were uh, life flighted out to local hospitals. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, this lockdown went on for about a year and there was a, a man, a brother named Patrick Nolan, big white dude from Canada, used to run with the Aryan Brotherhood had started to read books by Viktor Frankl, had started to study Gandhi, had started to study Mandela, had started to study Martin Luther King to figure out his own place on this planet and his meaning for life, you know, knowing that he was going to die in prison. He was serving life. And so as the lockdown started to come up, he went around to uh, different uh, leaders of, of factions, organizations around the yard and asked for permission to bring people together for, for something he was trying to uh, put together. And he had become aware of what's known as men's work on the outside. And he had started to study that and he had reached out to some people to try and see if he could bring that inside. 
because, you know, Pat, we, we like to talk about, you know, he had uh, grown sick and tired of being sick and tired of us just killing each other for nothing just because of what you look like, because of how you, you know, happen to be born, the color of your skin, the part of the state you were from, the color of flag that you claimed allegiance to. And uh, it morphed into, you know, what's referred to as healing circles. So you had people for the very first time sitting together in, in, in circles in a chapel in a maximum security prison who were for lack of a better phrase, used to getting at each other like lions and hyenas on the savannah. You had Bloods and Crips in a room together. You had Aryan Brotherhood and Black Guerrilla Family in a room together. You had Nuestra Familia and Mexican Mafia in the room together for the very first time ever, and nobody was trying to kill each other. And learning how to heal together. That's people stuff as far as I'm concerned. So we could talk about it being a microcosm, but that's mm. a recipe that can change the plant i've mm. seen it i've experienced it yeah maybe you can expand a little bit more on your own personal experience within the the system and how you ended up in prison and 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 how you got exposed to the the circles yeah yeah certainly i got exposed to inside circle as as a member of inside circle i, I was serving time in prison i was serving life in prison i did 24 years in the California prison system. I went in when I was 19 years old. I went in for a, a attempted murder, kidnapping for purposes of robbery and, and, and a string of, of, of robberies. I was into uh, a gang banging. I was a, a dope dealer, a gun runner. If, if it was on the, in, in the penal code book, I've probably touched it or at least been around it. My experience with crime goes back further than that. My first Running with the law, I was 14. I went to juvenile hall when I was 14. And, uh, you know, these were all choices that I made. You know, they, they weren't mistakes. These were all active decisions that I made consciously. I was aware I wasn't under the influence of, of narcotics. I wasn't under the influence of alcohol. Uh, I was making conscious decisions to be an outlaw, to go against, you know, what society calls a, a normal activity. And getting the opportunity to be adopted by Inside Circle put me in touch with the opportunity to begin to do my own interpersonal work, to start to look at what my motivations were, to start to look at why I was thinking the way that I was thinking and why I was engaging in the activities that I was in, engaging in other than you know the standard, this is just how it is, or this is fun, or this is just what the fuck I wanna do. I was able to uh, get in touch with uh, uh, trauma childhood, early childhood trauma, you know, in my life and, and, and make a connection with how things that had occurred earlier in my life informed how I thought not just about myself, but how I thought about others. And, and, and that informed how I, you know, went about in the world and, and, and made decisions. Mm. And you touched on that very eloquently, I think, in one of your talks, you talk about childhood sexual abuse and, and how it was a I'll let you share perhaps, but there was a, a dynamic in which you were the, the victim, but also the one protecting a loved one, right? Yeah. yeah. There, was, there was childhood molestation at the hands of a couple of babysitters. And, and I found myself in, in one particular incident being uh, offered a choice to either give in or, 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 or stand my ground and not. And, and perhaps have my, my, my younger sister, who was four years younger than me, 
uh, assaulted. And at the time I was seven years old. And so that would have put my sister at, 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 at being three years old. And, you know, I grew up with the messages of, uh, me being the older sibling and I'm a boy, you know, a young man, I got to look out for my sister. I got to protect her. I got to take care of her. So I gave in. And, and, and so a lot of things were formed in me at that time. I took on a lot of messages, you know, from that particular incident, number one, about being a victim or a victimizer. And I determined, you know, moving forward in life, uh, any situation that presented itself where there was a, a, a victim and a victimizer, there was a top and a bottom, I was going to be the victimizer. I was never again in my life going to be the victim. And, and, and I also formulated the belief that, you know, uh, loving somebody and or caring about somebody was something that put me in harm's way. It was something that put me in jeopardy. So I also vowed that that was something I wasn't going to do moving forward. So I, I, I began to train myself as a seven-year-old, an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old, that caring and giving a damn was something that was an impediment to success in life. And so that helped me with the choices that I made later on in life. That helped me to be able to make the decisions that I made to, to, to victimize others and be able to do so in a, in a very cold and calculating and dispassionate manner to other human beings. So you were taught that the world operated in a certain way. And one of those things was that victimizing others was a right, like that you have the right to victimize others. And so from that standpoint, it makes sense that you would grow up and act out and make the choices that you did. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And, and not even, you know, I'd go a little further and say, yes, victimizing others is a piece of the mindset. But the broader mindset is I can do whatever the hell I want to. And there's no need to worry about the consequences. If I want it, I can have it by any means necessary. And if you get in my way, fuck you. I'm steamrolling over you because you are in between me and what's mine. Whatever I see and I want and I claim it in my mind, it's mine. It's just about playing it out in, in, in this, you know, atmosphere. And so then as you got older, you got in some trouble as a teenager, went to juvie. And then got into some trouble, went to juvenile hall, went to the California Youth Authority a couple of times and ultimately wound up uh, uh, in prison serving life. Yeah. Do you mind if I ask you a couple of very basic questions about your experience? Simply Certainly. because I've never talked to somebody who's been punished by a pun uh, as severe as that. So like, what is that moment like when you're sitting in the courtroom and you realize like, holy shit, I just got life in prison like well i i can remember the moment like it was yesterday as you asked the question because i knew the crimes that i was charged with if the jury came back with a guilty verdict there was a mandatory life sentence attached to that so there's a little bit of time to prepare but, you know, as you say, when that gavel comes down and the jury comes back and, you know, they come back with guilty verdicts on 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 particular penal codes and 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 you know that that means life. I can remember. This pit, this knot in my throat. As I'm waiting to hear what the jury says and when they come back with these certain counts that 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 definitely mean life, the knot 
just dropped into my stomach. And it was like my stomach then dropped out the bottom of my asshole. And, 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 and I can remember wanting to cry because that meant that my life was over. That was basically a death sentence, especially at that time in California. And I can also remember, and that was the little boy in me that wanted to cry, but I can also remember at the same time that that machine in me that I had built and had come to be saying, you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound. You knew the job was dangerous when you took it. Wipe that shit, wipe that motherfucking tear off your face and let's go do this. And so there, 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 there's this space where there are two people inside of my body at the very same time with very different reactions. And I had come to identify that peace within myself that was like, okay, you're in this and this is what it is. And we're going to move forward with this being my protector, being the one who was able to keep me safe, being the one who was able to meet challenges in a very direct way and get stuff done and just surrender into that and de determining at that point, okay, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to be the best damn convict that, you know, convicting has ever seen. And that's how I moved forward. And how did you at that time define the best convict that the convicts ever seen? Well, uh, what that looked like for me, what that meant for me was going in and continuing to do the same things inside that I had done outside. That meant not wimping out and going, you know, into the church and looking for a Bible and hiding behind Jesus and dropping my flag. No longer gangbanging and talking about I'm out now. And no, that meant going in, continuing to gangbang, continuing to sell dope, continuing to uh, uh, assault people. Uh, 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 continuing to be an outlaw and figure out ways to try and tear the system down from the inside out. Mm. Continuing to try and build a name and a reputation for myself as some sort of Billy badass who is not to be fucked with. Right. To cover up the fear. Let's not forget and let me not leave out the piece about the fear because I was scared to fucking death. Because I was going to the big house. I was 19 years old. I was black. I was a, a, a rail thin. I was 130 pounds soaking wet. They still had weights in, in, uh, 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 in prison at the time. So you had dudes that was walking around built like Ronnie Coleman or Arnold Schwarzenegger. And they were serving life too. And they were just as big and bad as I thought I was in my mind. So there was the fear factor in there as well that needed to be covered up so it wouldn't be exposed mm -hmm. and I couldn't be victimized. Right. And so you show up to prison, you look around and there's these jacked, mean, tough looking dudes. And you're like, oh God, I'm gonna be in here forever. And so then it's like you put on that armor or that alternative persona as a protection survival mechanism, it sounds like. The armor had already been there. It was something that had been building since I was seven, eight, nine years old. And it was something that I was honing and polishing all throughout my career leading up to going to prison. And it just went onto steroids once I went to prison because the county jail, at least for me, my experience was a training ground getting ready for prison because I knew if I got convicted, I was going to jail for life. Everybody else knew, you know, that we were going to jail for life if, if there was a conviction. And so they had, you know, what, what are referred to as OGs, older dudes who had been around the block, they had been in the prison. So they were prepping. They're, they're, they, 
you go to prison, at, you know, at least with the, the, the cohort of people that, that I went, you know, to prison with, it's like now you're in college. We looked at it as college. We looked at it as a refinement school. You're going and you're learning new things. You're, uh, the, the, the older cons are pr like professors. They've been around the block a little bit more. They've got a little bit more experience. And so you go into training. So when I was in the county jail, I was training for prison. I was learning a uh, 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 key Swahili. I, I was learning a different language, the language that the Blacks speak so that the other people in jail don't know what it is that they're talking about. I was learning how to manufacture weapons from the most rudimentary, you know, everyday looking objects. I was learning uh, 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 the politics who I mess with, who I don't, who I uh, 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 function with, who I don't, what the rules are. So I, I was already prepped and prepared so that when I hit prison, the mentality was, okay, now I'm in with the sharks and I've got to figure out a way to make my place amongst the sharks. Yeah, it's that either kill or be killed kind of mentality, I suppose. Yeah, Without a doubt. Literally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, without a doubt. Yeah. And so then, uh, continuing my line of very basic questions for you, uh, I read that you were in solitary confinement for a while as a consequence of some of your decisions in prison. Do mm -hmm. you, like, what is that like? Uh, how long were you in for? Do you mind speaking to the, the mental conditions that resulted from that confinement? Now, which time are you talking about in solitary confinement? Because I was in solitary confinement several times. <laughs> but pardon me, I should have been more specific. Uh, I mean, so even that, so you went to solitary confinement. Obviously, it wasn't severe enough to deter your actions moving forward because you went back to solitary and back to solitary again. So perhaps that even, that's even part of the answer then. Is, well, solitary, you know, for those who, you know, might be unaware of, 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 you know, what prison is, solitary confinement is what they call the hole. You know, they, the, the crap that they show on, on, on television. Uh, for some people, maybe it's like that. It, that wasn't necessarily the experience for me. It is, uh, it's jail within jail. So you're in prison and you've committed an offense. I committed an offense that, you know, had the, the administration determined that I needed to be segregated away from the, you know, general population while they figured out, number one, if I had committed the, the offense and number two, what the appropriate punishment would be for the commitment of that offense. And, and it's an opportunity for me. It was an opportunity for a break. It was an opportunity to get away from, uh, 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 you, you turn it into mind, mind games. Prison is about mind games. So you mind fuck yourself. I used to mind fuck myself and turn everything into an exercise, turn everything into a form of meditation. So being in the hole for me was a, a, a vacation. It was an opportunity to get away from, you know, the rigmarole of what was going on on the main line, all of the politics, all of the people, all of the having to think about this, that, and other, who's doing this, who's doing that, and just be with myself and rest. So vacation. That's how I chose to see it. So going back to solitary confinement, going back to the whole was not necessarily a big issue and the mentality that I was in was that, again, 
this is the life that I chose. These are the games that I'm playing. I'm not doing things to get caught, but if I happen to get caught, going to the hole is a part of it. Right, so you had wrapped your mind around the punishment regardless of the offense. It was like, oh, if I go to the hole, if I'm in solitary, then it's a, a break in a way I can kind of, I imagine it maybe relaxes the wrong word, but it sounds like you can kind of switch off your brain, your defense, your armor, and like just chill or regulate for a moment. There, there's yeah. the opportunity to, 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 to chill and regulate. And then there's also the opportunity to uh, accept the challenge because the whole can be seen, you know, especially some of the, 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 the shit pits that they have in California as, as, as the government's attempt to break you to deter you from further activities. It's, you know, designed on sensory deprivation uh, tactics and techniques that were learned from the Viet Cong during the Vietnam War. So, you know, the whole no light. There's, there's, there are all sorts of things going on to attack your nervous system. And I considered myself a, 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 a warrior. I considered myself somebody who was at war with, you know, uh, uh, the state of California, the government of California. And I considered, you know, going to the hole, uh, an act of aggression on their part and an attempt to break me. And so my mentality was, you're not going to break me. I don't care what you do to me. I don't care where you put me. I don't care how far you send me. I don't care how long I'm here. You are not going to break me. I'm watching people fall to the left. I'm watching people fall to the right. People are committing suicide. People are, you know, going to the uh, psychiatrist and getting on antipsychotropic drugs in order to deal with it. You're not going to break me because breaking me again, you know, if we go back to that seven or eight year old boy is you've won, you've defeated me, you've victimized me and I've surrendered and submitted to your force and your will is not going to break my will. So we'll see who breaks first, motherfucker. Damn. And so how long were you in solitary for your various stints? Uh, I think I've tallied, tabulated up uh, over the course of 24 years. I spent four years in, in solitary confinement. Holy shit, man. Four years. Mm -hmm. Not all at the same time, you know, different, yeah. different times. The, the most I ever spent in at any one time was two years. So you, you were in solitary confinement for two consecutive years? Yes, sir. I don't even know what to say to that. That I mean, how is that experience like? Like, do you hit a wall at some point, or are you just so focused on being a warrior that is unbreakable that you go into pure survival mode? Uh, Prison itself is pure survival mode. It was yes. for me. I can't speak to what it is for everybody else because everybody has their own experience. But for me, it was it was definitely survival mode at that point in my life, at least, you know, up until the last time I went to the hole, I was I was a, a, a survivor. I wasn't living life. I was mm. somebody who was surviving life and existing on the outskirts of humanity. I had long ago lost touch with my own humanity. So I was, you know, really like a uh the best way I could describe it is 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 like a, a a ghost or something on the outskirts of humanity. So it was it was it was just pure survival. So it 
really meant nothing to me. It didn't matter where I was at. Hell, I could have been uh, vacationing on the beaches in Central Pay and would have had the same mentality and would have been the same husk of a human. Mm, so it, it really didn't matter to me where I was at. And then just to clarify, during that time, you're in solitary. Does that mean you have no physical contact with another person? Like no handshakes, the, no hugs? The, no- the last time that I was in the hole, I was on what they call standalone walk alone. Me and, 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 and a, one of my, you know, quote unquote homeboys had run into the cell of another prisoner and attempted to kill him and, and stabbed him over 30 times. And so I was designated what they call standalone walk alone. And what that means is I'm, I'm not around other human beings. I live in a cell by myself. I go out to the yard by myself. Everywhere that I go, I'm being escorted by a guard, uh, 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 oftentimes with uh, uh, shackles on my feet and belly chains around my waist. So that's how I spent the last two years that I was in the hole. And then there comes a point where you're deemed to be like done with being in isolation and they, they put you back in the regular prison population. Yeah. I would would go into the hole. I wasn't, I I was never sentenced to an indeterminate uh, sentence in, in solitary. I, every time I went, I had a determinate sentence. So it was for a specific offense and a specific Mm -hmm. amount of time. So when my specific amount of time was up, I was uh, uh, released and sent to new Folsom. And while I was in at that time, I, uh, utilize some of the time to uh, reflect on my life and where I had been and, and where I was at and, 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 you know, started to ask myself some hard questions, you know, trying to figure out how I wound up and was continuing to wind up in these situations because oftentimes I was in these situations, at least my judgment then was because of somebody else's issues and not my own like you know running up in the cell cell to stab this dude this wasn't a dude that I had any beef with or I had any animosity or ill will towards it was behind something one of my homeboys got into with him and and so that wasn't working for me and 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 I had gotten to a point where I was I started to look at my own mortality in prison and think okay I'm still young enough and I'm still healthy enough that maybe another 10 or 15 years, if I can find myself in the right position, I can escape from prison. But I'm not going to be able to do that from a maximum security yard. And I'm not going to be able to do that so long as the investigative services unit are always watching me and down my throat thinking that I'm engaged in, in, in some sort of gang activity. So when I got out of the hole, I had resolved that I was going to, you know, go out to the yard, check in with my homeboys and let them know that uh, uh, I'm done with this. I'm moving in another direction and I'm doing something else. And and and. I had done enough, you know, in, in, in my circles that that was respected. And, and, you know, that was the beginning of me moving in a, in another direction. And that moving in another direction was an attempt to convince the powers that be that I was reformed so that I could start to go down to lower level prisons and get somewhere where I could hop a fence, tunnel under a gate, uh, seal myself in a box up and mail myself somewhere, or, you know, some other crazy ass shit to break out of prison. And along the way, I was adopted by Inside Circle and my life was saved. Brother, I've, I've interviewed a lot of people on this podcast and many of them have some kind of rock bottom moment in which their life is going a certain direction and they make a 
they make a hard right turn and start to do things differently. But you are the first person in which breaking out of prison was the seed that was planted that sort of started your transition into a new way of, of being. That's incredible. So, so you were like, you were like, okay, I got to behave enough so that I could get to a place where I can escape prison. Right. Mm -hmm. That was, that was the kind of the rough plan, 10 to 15 year strategic vision, if you will. Yes. And then along that path, you intersected this organization called the inside circle. And then that, that changed your life entirely. It sounds like. That saved my life. Saved your life. Yeah. And so, so what do you, do you recall the moment that you first heard about inside circle? Was there like, I mean, is there a flyer in prison or is it word of mouth or like, how do you, I mean, there's, there like an email listserv? Like there's, I mean, how's it, how's it get around, man? How do they find you? I'm, well, I'm inside you. <laughs> in, inside circle is, is the name of the nonprofit that supports that work. And, and inside it's not called inside circle inside. It's known as men's group on the yard. It's known as men's group. And uh, yeah, you know, I was aware of what it was because the the moniker that was, you know, it was labeled as among people who were not a part of the group was Hug-A-Thug. That's what the guards <laughs> called it. That's what other, you know, convicts called it. And nobody, the people who were using that phraseology had no idea what was going on in there. They just assumed based on word of mouth and some things that they may have gotten wind of or heard or something like this, that there was some sort of touchy feely, you know, get in touch with your emotions, you know, sit around and, and smell the roses and sing Kumbaya, you know, type of stuff going on. They had no idea what was really going on behind the scenes. Had they known what was going on behind the scenes, that program would have got shut down decades ago. Mm. What makes you say that? Well, the nature of the work and the things that were going on broke all of the rules that uh, uh, exist within the California Code of Regulations. And the California Code of Regulations, the CCR, is what uh, dictates what can and cannot happen. And you know, physical contact is a no-no. You know, uh, and I don't know how familiar you you may or may not be with 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 men's work or interpersonal work, circle work, you know, group type work. It, it can get physical. That's a no, no. You know, the administration warden walk in and look and see something like that. It, it might look like a riot is going on, but it's an individual having an opportunity to emote, to get down and dig into the well of emotion to get to a place where he can start to make his ascent to come up from a, a, a healing place. And, 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 you know, people who are, are confined, people who are convicts having physical contact with those who are volunteers or people who are coming in from the streets. That's that, you know, that's a, a huge no, no. So just those sorts of things. Yeah. And so you're, you're in prison and you hear about this hug a thug program and you're thinking, nah, it's incense and picking flowers and all this kind of shit. And so how do you actually get into the room? What, what convinces you? Well, what convinced me was I was, I was, you know, I, I knew or was familiar with a lot of people who were in the group and, and we were in other groups, you know, together. I myself was on, on, a, on a path. I was, you know, getting into Taoism and dabbling with Tai Chi and, Buddhist meditation and things like that. So I was rubbing elbows in some of these different circles with individuals who are part of Inside Circle. Mm -hmm. And and we were engaging in, you know, discussions of, of uh, 
you know, philosophical points of view and, and, and emotional growth and, 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 and the concept of, you know, what it means to be a man and, you know, our childhoods and how we got to, you know, where we were at, at this point in our life. So I was developing relationships with people who were already in the circle and they were people that I respected. And I, you know, I, I valued and respected the relationships that I was building with them. So over the time, over the course of time, I had been invited a couple of times to, 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 to join. And, and finally, you know, I said, yes. And in order to get into the circle, you have to be sponsored in by somebody email or something like that or you don't just say hey one day I want to go to men's group doesn't work like that you have to be sponsored in by somebody who's already a part of the group again because of the nature of the work because of the nature of the space it is a container that is safe that's built up over time that involves trust that involves you know various agreements and 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 so in order for an individual to feel like that container is safe for him to go into the deepest, darkest parts of himself and, and expose that to others and, and take real, you know, authentic uh, uh, opportunities to look at that. You can't have just anybody coming in, you know, just to look and see and, 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 and just because they want to get off the yard and, and, you know, that sort of thing. Hmm. It's almost like self-recruitment of like, hey, I know a guy. Like, uh, come that's on exactly in. That's exactly what it is. That that's yeah. exactly what it is. And 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 a part of the process is, you know, if I am, if I have somebody say, you know, okay, I got Jeremy Goldberg, and I, I'd like to bring him in. I I really have to evaluate you. I got to talk to you. I got to see where you're at. I got to see if you're ready for this. Mm. If you're ready to look at yourself. If you're ready to look at your stuff. And if you have the emotional capacity and maturity to be able to sit with somebody while they're going through their stuff, because you're going to see some things and you're going to experience some things that are going to be shocking to your system. So I have to, it's my responsibility both to you and to the circle to vet you and prepare you for this Mm. because you are my responsibility. Mm. Yeah, that, that makes a whole lot of sense now that you, you say it that way. And then for those listening who might not have a clear understanding of, or they haven't seen the documentary, The Work, which I think if you're listening, you should watch that documentary. It's unbelievably good and, and so powerful. So what, uh, when people always say to you, like, what's men's, what's men's group? What's men's work? Like, why are you doing it? You know, if it's not hug a thug, what actually is happening? How do you describe it? Well, again, I, speaking from the eye perspective, I can only describe what it is for me, to me, and how it has, you know, uh, showed up and impacted my life. What it is, is an opportunity for me to get real with myself. What it is, is an opportunity for me to challenge my beliefs and to challenge my thinking and how I show up in the world and look at and question whether or not that is working for me and what my impact is and what it is that I want my impact to be once I start to answer those questions. It's an op- it was an opportunity for me to reconnect with my humanity. It was an opportunity for me to learn how to feel again. I was mm-hmm. so far removed from, from the ability to feel and have any semblance of compassion or empathy for first myself, let alone another human being. I had to learn that again. I had to learn what it was to, to, 
not just say the words, you know, I love you or I have love for you, but what the fuck does that really mean? What does it mean when I say I love somebody? Because in order for me to really love somebody else, what, what does it mean and how does it show up for me in my life to love myself? And how do I really have the capacity to love you and I don't have the capacity or know how to love myself? How can I authentically be in relationship with you and claim to love you and claim to care about you and claim to have any sort of, of, of compassion or, or understanding for you and I don't have that for myself. So it was an, it's an opportunity for me to learn myself and to learn how to be in relationship with myself. And that gives me the capacity to then go out in the world and, and, and be in relationship with others. Mm. What was your experience like at the end of that first uh, men's men's group session? Do you recall having any kind of surprises or epiphanies or realizations? Uh the, the 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 greatest epiphany that I can share with you without breaking confidence of of the circle is uh, coming to an understanding within myself that this shit is real. Going in and you know once I went through the process of of of, of being you know uh, vetted and accepted into the group and 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 people got off into some things and got off into doing their work, you know without me having a concept about what work was or what, you know, uh, personal work was or, or what carpet work was or anything like that. I was like, this shit here is real. And it evoked emotion out of me. I cried in that room for the first time since I sat in that courtroom and choked down tears mm. when they said, you're going away for life. And then the time that I cried before that was the first time I went in at 14 years old as a juvenile and the lights went out and, and I laid on the pillow that first night and, and felt the warmth of a tear rolling down my cheek and could feel the coolness of, of, of that saline uh, uh, soak in the pillow and me telling myself, don't punk out now, you're in. And, you know, when the door is open in the morning, I got to have my game face on. And then the next time I could remember crying before that was when my younger sister uh, 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 fell and, and, and split her forehead uh, on a coffee table when she was like two years old and we had to rush her to the hospital to get stitches in the middle of her forehead. So I can remember the times that I had cried in my life and name them off just like that before I walked in that chapel that first day. And now, you know, from that time to today, I, I can't, you know, even begin to count how many times, you know, I felt that level of emotion and shed tears. Yeah. It sounds like it provides that safe space to grieve really and to, and to really tap into the depth of your life and what you've done and what you've seen and what you've felt. And it, it's almost like a, the visual is like a dam bursting, so to speak of like, it's all been repressed and pushed down for so long. And here it's an opportunity to grieve. It's an opportunity to forgive. It's an opportunity to experience joy. It's an opportunity to look at and, and, and reconcile with fear. It's an opportunity to feel. It's an opportunity to be, for me, it was an opportunity to be alive. Like I said before, up to that point, I had been existing. I hadn't been living. So it was an open opportunity for me to step into life. Mm. It's powerful, man. Are there... Uh... I'm curious about the self-forgiveness component of that. So you had, 
you had seen and, and done a lot of um, violent things. You've, you've attempted mm-hmm. to murder people and kidnap them. What was the process like for you individually to, to like allow yourself some grace in those decisions or to forgive the past and, and move forward with this new identity or this new version of yourself? Mm. Uh, the, the, the first piece of reconciliation for myself was forgiving myself for you know what I call the original sin and, and, and going back into my own trauma and, and forgiving myself. Because oftentimes, you know, I'll speak again from the eye perspective, but uh, I'll speak to a truth. Oftentimes victims uh, of any sort of trauma deal with blaming themselves and, 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 and don't have the space or don't have the support or, or whatever to, to, to be able to reconcile with, you know, it, it wasn't your fault. And, and what happened to me wasn't my fault. And so carrying shield, uh, uh, guilt and carrying shame around the things that I was carrying guilt and shame around were things that would prohibit me from being able, again, to be in relationship with myself and forgive myself and, and to know that I was all right as a human being. Hmm. So the, the, the huge piece for me with forgiveness is, is, is learning how to forgive myself because forgiving myself for things that I have done to other people is, is not necessarily something that's in the purview of, of, of what I'm supposed to be doing. That's for others to do, whether they choose to or not. What I can do is I can ask for forgiveness and what I can do is work to make amends for the things that I've done, which is, you know, something that I, I, I try and do in my life. But my forgiveness, my main piece of forgiveness is, is, is for self mm. and, and forgiving myself, you know, and, 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 and recognizing that, you know, I, I hadn't done anything wrong. And, and, and as a perfect, as a, as a soul, you know, on this planet, I'm, I'm perfect as is. That's, a, mm. that's the hard piece of forgiveness for me. I think for most of us, that would resonate for sure, man. Of honoring that, that you're whole and lovable and worthy, but also like a work in progress, right? Uh, uh, unfinished, as the, as the woman said at the inauguration yesterday. Uh, I'm curious if you could touch on a little bit the work that you do now. You've referenced before we started recording, you're working with some youth groups and trying to help the, the younger generations, right? Um, and I recall in the documentary, there was a line that you said, which was, uh, you're talking to your buddy about working with one of the guys from the outside. And you said, it's like looking in a mirror. And yeah. I was, I was wondering if, if that still relates, if you see yourself and all these, these kids that you work with. Most definitely. I, I, I can see, you know, my former self in, in a lot of these, uh, youngsters at varying stages of where they're at. And, and we'll, a lot of the work that we're doing now is in partnership with the Annie E. Casey Foundation uh, uh, with some initiatives in, in, in Georgia, uh, uh, New Jersey and uh, Illinois to support altering the way that the system deals with our youth and trying to get this system to see things from a more inclusive and healing perspective as opposed to a punitive model. And, 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 and what we're doing is attempting to work with the youth where they're at 
starting with those that are incarcerated and and keeping them engaged once they're out on probation or parole in what we uh, uh, have designed the, the, the YAE program, YAE, YAE, Youth Young Adult Empowerment Program. And what that does is help them make the transition from incarceration back out into society. Oftentimes they've gone inside when they were 12, 13, 14 years old, and they're coming out in their mid 20s. So the things that, you know, you and I might take for granted, you know, about the the documents that I need to have, you know, handy and what should be in my wallet and and what a credit score is and, and why it is so important and how to begin to build that. These are things that they have absolutely no idea about. These are things that they could give two dams about. So there's a piece where, number one, they need to be uh, supported in learning these life skills, but they also need to be supported in maintaining their commitment as they move through life to to work through the addiction to the lifestyle that they've lived for so long you know uh, uh uh that's huge you can throw all the resources in the world at at something or somebody but if we have not dealt with and healed the internal things you're throwing good money after bad so what we're doing is working with these youngsters and creating spaces where they have the opportunity to heal while sitting in circle and they have the opportunity to gain financial literacy skills. They have the opportunity to be supported in addictions to the lifestyle uh, uh, sessions. They have the opportunity to uh, 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 sit in, in, in uh, uh, sessions to learn about technology, to learn what, you know, uh, a Google calendar is and, and, and how to integrate it, you know, with your cell phone, what a Google doc is, the importance of a resume. And all, again, all of these certain, you know, the sorts of things that a lot of people in our society might take for granted and, and feel like these are the sorts of things that everyone knows or they teach you in school or whatever. And, and these, you know, young people have not uh, had those advantages in life. So they've got a little bit of catching up to do. Mm. Yeah, I imagine for yourself, even you were in prison for 20 something years and you come out and there's like smartphones and like society is radically transformed in the time that you've you've been away. And it's almost like a, I imagine you feel like a time traveler of sorts, like stepping into a future and you're like, what's an app? What's a what's an Instagram? Or like, I don't know. It's yeah, it, you have to learn to navigate an entirely new space. Yeah. Um, I'm curious for your perspective as somebody that's been in the system and is now working on new avenues of addressing the, the core causes of the system. Like when you talk about things like prison reform or um, the prison industrial complex, right? It seems like those are focused largely on punishing, punishing people rather than uh, rehabilitating them. How, how, I mean, if you were president, we're, we're speaking, uh, the day after Biden got in, like if that was you mm-hmm. yesterday, right? And today is day one of the uh, Elder Jackson presidency. Mm-hmm. What, what kind of things would you do or support or suggest in terms of like turning this whole thing around? And I, and I get that that's a loaded question with, with a lot of complexity. But um, oh, there, there, yeah, yeah, it, it, there, there, there are some huge things, you know, within that question. But one of the first things that that I would institute because I know that it works is uh, uh, healing models, circles. I I I, I would uh, I would support 
the 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 funding of and training of uh facilitators to go into these facilities you know juvenile uh male facilities female facilities uh county state federal and 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 provide the opportunity for those who are willing because this isn't something that you can force on anyone for those who are willing to be able to have the same sorts of spaces and advantages that i had sitting with inside circle because that's where the healing starts. That's where the mind frame begins to change. It's not from sitting in, you know, and not to downgrade these things. These are all, you know, important components. It's not from sitting in AA. It's not from sitting in Narcotics Anonymous or something like that, because you can sit in those sorts of groups and get clean and sober and not deal with the root cause that, drove you to drink that drove you to get high so i would like to provide you know anybody who's willing the opportunity to get into senses of self and get at the root causes of 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 what drives them and provide them the opportunity to look at themselves and begin to take agency about over who they are and how they want to show up in the world and it starts with beginning to heal wounds i have yet to meet a human being that isn't dealing with some sort of wounds some of us just deal with them a little bit differently. Some of us go to therapy. Some of us have the money to go to therapy. Some of us come from cultures where going to therapy is not something that's taboo. Some of us uh, 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 just stuff whatever's going on and they just sit on that shit and they're able to, you know, skate through life without it boiling over too much to bring too much trouble to them. And, 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 and others don't. So I, I would I would provide the space, you know, for people to begin to look at those things that 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 push us all begin to look at those things that affect us all and inform, you know, uh, number one, how we think about ourselves and, and, and how we think about other people, because that informs how we act, that informs how we treat ourselves and how we treat others. And without that sort of emotional literacy, hmm. we get the shit that we see on the news. Yeah. And we get the society and the cultural ramifications that we've had for centuries, right? Yeah. Brother, I um I could talk to you for days, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh man, we've just we've just started. It's already been about an hour. I know that you have to go and, and lead a circle with a, a local youth group that you work with. So before we kind of kind of end this is there anything that we haven't touched on that you really feel passionate about getting out into the world anything that that you're like oh you haven't asked me about this jeremy so i need to give the answer to the question you didn't ask like if i if i missed something i know like man we didn't talk on like institutional racism and the black lives matter and the police and blue lives matter and all that stuff like it might be a, a conversation for another day but any final thoughts or uh, final thoughts that I, I I would leave you with. I think we, you know, touched on enough for, you know, your, your audience today. What I would say is, is the invitation is always there to, you know, for people to find what works for them. And it might not be something that looks like inside circle. It might not be circle work, but be open to finding what works for you so that you can be, give yourself the best opportunity to be the most healthy a lover of yourself that you can be. And that might sound a little bit selfish, but 
you got to take care of yourself before you can take care of anybody else. Find what works for you to be able to, you know, take care of yourself. And some of those other conversations you're talking about, you know, I'd invite people to look up uh, the Inside Circle podcast that just uh, premiered earlier this year. And and some of those uh, uh, conversations uh, uh, will be touched on. You know, you can mm-hmm. find us wherever you find your podcast. Like us, subscribe, share with your friends and 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 engage in the conversations. We're trying to create spaces where people get the opportunity to witness more and be a part of more uh, uh, what it looks like to sit in a safe space, what it looks like to be open and, and, and authentic and vulnerable and be OK with that. Yeah, well said, man. And um, I'll include links in the show notes to the podcast and the website the documentary is there any are you on instagram or uh, any of the socials uh uh me personally i'm not i don't have a time or the bandwidth for that but they you can find inside circle on instagram facebook twitter all whatever them. else they got out there <laughs> all right man i'll uh, i'll put links in there and then uh if someone's listening that's like i love this i love what you're doing what is the best way for that person to support is it a donation to the organization or is it a can they volunteer to facilitate or, or what's the best way? What do you, what do you guys need? Again, we're, we are a nonprofit organization, so we don't turn any money down. <laughs> uh, uh, InsideCircle.org, uh, uh, click the donate button and, and, and we will gladly, you know, uh, find and make good use to the money to, you know, uh, support people saving lives one circle at a time. Uh, there are also links on our webpage to uh, get involved. Uh, we have a, a pen pal program where we're trying to keep people who are inside right now really, really suffering in the grips of this COVID-19, trying to keep them connected with uh, people on the outside and, and give people on the outside the opportunity to connect with human beings on the inside who are really suffering right now. Uh, so yeah, we, we, we've, we've got some things going on and, and anything that people are able and willing to do above and beyond, of course, giving money and engaging in the pen pal program <laughs> yeah. is welcome. And you can find those opportunities uh, at yeah. insidecircle.org. Yeah, I love that. So you could have a pen pal prisoner uh, that you exchange letters with. Yep, another human being. That's a cool, yeah, that's a, a good way to, to reframe Espe- that. Thank especially you. Especially right now because we're all right now, and when I say we all, everybody on the face of this planet has a common enemy, and that enemy is COVID-19. We're all in, in some shape, form, or fashion being affected by it, and a lot of people out in what they call free society are dealing with, are trying to reconcile, how do I deal with being on lockdown? How do I deal with these stay-at-home orders? How do I deal with not having contact with my loved ones? How do I deal with not having contact with other human beings or with very few human beings? And who better to be in communication with on how to deal with that, on how to reconcile that than with those who have been doing it for decades upon decades? Yeah, it's a good point. Final question. Okay. How did you go from being in prison and in a circle to like being in charge of the whole the whole shebang? Because you're like the man now, right? You're like the, the big boss or like one of them? I am a spoke in a wheel 
And yeah. it just happens to be my turn. Tomorrow it'll be somebody else's <laughs> turn. And, and, and to answer your question more directly, how did I find myself in this position? I found this, myself in this position by being, being willing to step into the fire and do my own work. Mm. Well said. And life just happens once you start doing that. Yes, sir. Brother, I have such tremendous respect and admiration for you and all the work that you, you guys are doing over there. It's just a huge honor to talk to you. And I really do appreciate your openness and your honesty, your honesty and, uh, and your humility of like speaking to a lot of these things and, and, uh, and your patience and my, my questions that are like, bro, what's prison like? I got to know. Um, I really do appreciate you, man. And, and thank you again. It's, uh, it's an honor. You're welcome. Thank you. You you're welcome. I'll I'll accept that graciously. I'll say you're welcome. And the one thing that I would add is is that's how healing begins. That's how, that's how we start to change the world is by sitting in spaces like this and being open and being willing to let another human being be exactly who they are without judgment. So, you know, the questions that you have, I I welcome them because they are questions that you have and if you don't ask them, you'll never get those answers. Yeah. Amen. Eldred Jackson III, that man just blew my brains apart. Um, if you want to support his organization, as I mentioned, I've included all those links in the show notes. You can check those out. You can donate some cash to the work that they are doing, which I fully believe in and am in support of. You can also check out ways to become a prison pen pal. And uh, I'll include links to the website and the documentary. Watch it. Watch the documentary. It's so powerful it's so so powerful and um i hope this conversation gave you a bit of insight into the radical transformation that is possible when you start to go inside anything can occur your life can radically shift and i think eldra is the embodiment of exactly how powerful we can be when we decide to make some changes so Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing this with those who you know and love that you think might benefit from it. Thanks for the five-star reviews. I appreciate you. You can find me on Instagram at Long Distance Love Bombs. I've got a TED Talk and a book. Just appreciate your support. Thanks for being here. And do uh, check out the older episodes. There's more than 100 now, and you will recognize some names on there for sure if you haven't gone back. So take care. Take care of each other, and uh, keep smiling. <laughs>